Hallelujah. We could say that in a Baptist church. <laughs> hey, I got I to gotta tell on myself a little bit. I, I appreciate the love that people have for me, and I, that's not, I'm serious about that, because like, I guess when I got up here, I'd been getting my mic on, my, my headset on, and when I put my jacket on, my collar was messed up, and so it was kind enough to be pointed out to me and straightened up, and, the, and then I saw Pastor Adam, like, I was going to tell him too, and so I appreciate everybody loving me and, and helping me out like that, and it just reminded me years ago, um, it was really one of the, it was probably the first year we were in this building I was back behind the the platform here and I needed to walk out and and I did one of those deals where I just reached down like this with one hand and I buttoned my suit jacket and I walked out and I preached the entire message that day and when I got done I had like three people say I really wanted to listen to what you had to say but you had your suit jacket buttoned wrong <laughs> and you know I had like one button off and so they, they they couldn't hear anything I said they just focused on that one thing <laughs> So thank you again. I really do. I appreciate that. Am I okay? No distractions? Sorry, I can't do anything about the glow. Uh, you know, unless you all want to buy a toupee, but I don't think uh, you want me wearing a toupee. But anyway, okay, let's get serious. <laughs> Seriously, what I do want to speak to you about today is uh, something you see on the screen. It's a, it's a question I'd like us all to consider. And it can be a general question like, what do you do with God's grace? But what I'd like for us all to do is to personalize it and think of it in this way. What do you do with God's grace? Was, when was the last time that you failed God in some way or you feel like you failed in life in some way, but you experienced grace and forgiveness so that you could go on? that you could start again, you could begin again. Maybe, for some of you, you're going through a time of failure right now and you don't really realize the grace that is available to you through God and how much he loves you. Or maybe that you're so accustomed to receiving God's grace and living that out in your life, that you've begun to kind of take it for granted, almost to the fact, of, well, I, of course I have God's grace because I deserve it. And I want you to know that neither one of those attitudes are really where they need to be. So again, I'd like for each of us to ask ourselves that question, so don't make the you like you're pointing at someone else. Let's all point the fingers at us and ask ourselves that question. What do you do in other words, what am I doing with God's grace? And the scriptures encourage us to keep growing in our understanding of God's grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I mentioned a few weeks ago in a message that was introducing this theme that the Apostle Peter concludes his second and final letter that we have recorded in the New Testament with these words, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So to grow in grace means to begin to understand and continue to understand what that means as you are experiencing it. Because all of us, whether you realize it or not or think about it or not, you are experiencing some form of grace from God. 
So what is the biblical meaning of grace? I've got it on the screen here. I know that the type's a little small there, but also I want to remind you, if you have the YouVersion app, you can download that from any of your app stores. Uh, and if you'll go to the events section and look for Porterfield, you'll see these notes, and you can follow along with the scriptures. But I want to take a moment and let's think about that. What is the biblical meaning of grace? Because we use that word grace in our culture today. And actually the Greek word as the New Testament was written in the Koine Greek, um, the, the Greek word is translated into English as grace is charis. And the first kind of meaning of that word, even in the Greek, is that which offers joy, pleasure, delight, or loveliness. And that is a way that we use it still today in our culture. You know, we talk about somebody that's gracious or graceful, all of those kinds of things. But there's deeper meanings to this as well, and this is what we find in the scripture. So that Greek word charis also means goodwill, loving kindness, favor. Now we're beginning to see a little more of the sense of what the Holy Spirit was leading when Peter penned this and what God's Spirit was trying to direct through that word charis to us. And then in Strong's Hebrew Greek Dictionary, yes, there is such a thing, you can look up the meaning of these different words. And so I'm just going to share with you what it says in that Greek Dictionary concerning this word charis in the Bible, especially the way it's used here. That's kind of a long definition. That's why I encourage you, you can take a picture of the screen or uh, whatever. But just listen, it is the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them or motivates them, in other words, to the exercise of the Christian virtues and lifestyle. Wow. But you know, you, you listen to that big long definition and you might be thinking, well, Mark, it doesn't sound like there's a whole lot left for me to do. Exactly. <laughs> this is what God's grace does in our life. And we're going to explore that a little bit more deeply. It's not that we absolutely do nothing and we're like little puppets or like a leaf in a stream that's just being swept along, that we do have a responsibility to respond to this grace. But the point is, if it were not for God's grace, none of us would have a chance. None of us. No matter what you think you've done for God. So a simple definition of charis or grace that I use a lot, because I like to keep it simple whenever I can, is undeserving favor. We're undeserved favor and blessing from God. That's this sense of God's grace. And that is why songs have been written about it. One of the greatest hymns that even people who don't go to church are familiar with the song Amazing Grace, right? It is amazing. And so this is what the Lord has laid on my heart to share with you today to just help us think a little bit more deeply about that. The Apostle Paul experienced the grace of Christ. And a little bit of this is a review of a few of the verses that I brought a few weeks ago in a message just to, in case you weren't here, or a few weeks have passed, maybe to refresh your memory. And by the way, I appreciate Pastor Eric and the messages that he's brought on discipleship. We're gonna to continue to explore that as we go through the year as well. 
But the Apostle Paul was not always a follower of Christ. In fact, he persecuted believers in Christ. He was raised up in the Jewish school of thought and in the Jewish faith, and he became a Pharisee, and he thought he had God all figured out. And, and this isn't just pointing out about Jewish people or those of Jewish faith. This can be in any uh, religion or form or schooling that you're brought up in. You get all this education, or you think all this, and you're like, yeah, I've got this all figured out. And God says, uh-uh, you don't know as much as you think you do. And so Saul, as he was known before he began to use his Roman name and uh, share Christ with people, he was on his way to a town called Damascus to literally make sure that followers of Christ were imprisoned because he wanted to silence this whole message about Jesus. He felt threatened by it. He didn't agree with it. He felt it was against God. But God in his grace, even while Paul was opposed in fighting against Christ, God in his grace, you talk about undeserved favor, said, Saul, I'm going to call you to be one of my followers. And more than that, I'm going to use you to help other people become my follower. If anybody did not deserve it, it was Saul. So he writes about this to a young man named Timothy that he had nurtured in the faith as a Christian. We find it in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. And this is the way that now the Apostle Paul writes this as after his conversion and, and having Christ in his life. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Paul was saying, even when I didn't realize what I was doing and I was opposed to these things, God's grace was being poured out to me. This is amazing to me. And in fact, that's where he goes on and he writes, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I want you to know that if you're listening to this message today and you have doubts about Jesus, you have doubts about God, you have doubts about you know, all this stuff, maybe you're even an opponent of it. Maybe you're listening to the message because you want to get something that you can point out to say, that's absolutely wrong and I disagree. That's, that's cool, that's fine. Because God's grace is sufficient for that and his grace in Christ is overflowing. It's greater than all of your doubt and fear and skepticism and uh, agnostic beliefs or atheistic beliefs or whatever. He's God. So this is what Paul is saying. I realized that even with all my struggling and my doubt and, and all that, I was just overwhelmed with the grace of Christ and the love of God that poured over me. And then he goes on and he says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I'm the worst of sinners, he said, because of these things I did. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul's saying even my skepticism, even my doubt, my unbelief, my opposition to the things of Christ couldn't overcome his grace. His grace flooded me and I totally don't deserve where I'm at right now and what he's doing, but he did it in my life so that others who are like I was 
can know that if God does it in my life, he'll do it for anybody. That's what Paul's saying. He's, he's like, you think, you think of whatever sin you've committed. You think of whatever you think is so bad that God could never love you. You're wrong. Because God's grace poured out to me, someone who persecuted Christ, persecuted his church, was absolutely opposed, wanted to silence them, shut them up, get rid of them from all culture and all society. And yet God in his love and his grace saved me, forgave me, and actually then drew me in. His grace drew me in. You see, God's grace comes in various forms. Everyday common grace, I've talked about this before, and the Apostle Paul writes about it. It's the grace that we all have, no matter whether, again, you're an atheist, you don't believe in God, or an agnostic, or someone who's following some other form of religion or whatever. God's grace is still there for you, the everyday grace, the common grace, in the fact that you have air to breathe and food to eat and shelter clothing, those things that help us to get through life. That really is grace because none of us deserve it. Uh, when we were born into this world, we were born in with nothing. We didn't you know, come, come into the world go, hey, I've done so much for you, world, now you do for me. So even life itself is a gift of grace, but we don't, we don't often acknowledge it in that way, but it is. So there's common grace, but then there's a specific kind of grace that God gives that goes even deeper than the common grace, and that's because he wants you and I to enter into a relationship with him. He wants you and I to know who he truly is. And so he has done that through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. The one who created this world entered into it, walked among us so that we could know who he was. And as I said a few moments ago in the prayer, he not only left a historical record, but he continues to work in the world through his Holy Spirit, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and all the promises that are in Christ. That's why Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Christ said that, not me, not someone else. What we're left with is the decision. We either believe it or we reject it. And God's grace is even greater than that for a time. And we'll get to that in a moment. So there is this thing called saving grace. It's, it's the grace that God gave to Saul. He, what, he didn't deserve to be saved, but yet God loved him and, and called him. And in fact, he had an encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus, this, this city, as I say, where he was going to put uh, believers in jail and uh, approve of their death. So God's saving grace is a grace that's specifically given in Christ Jesus that offers forgiveness, recon reconciliation, and restoration, and a relationship with God. And that's why the Apostle Paul writes this to another person named Titus. It's in the New Testament, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all people. Doesn't matter your background, your ethnicity, your social status, your income, none of that, none of that. Your, your, your gender, your sex, any of that stuff. God's grace has appeared to everyone that brings salvation, all people. And then Jesus confirms that when Jesus speaks this about himself. For God so loved the world, that's everybody, no matter who you are, God loves you. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And here's the kicker to that. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That's why we refer to Jesus as Savior. He, he's not the condemner. <laughs> we don't call Jesus the condemner. In fact, Satan is called the accuser. Jesus is the Savior because that's what he came to do. 
And he came to give us grace, to demonstrate grace, and to help us receive it. The scripture says this in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, grace is a gift, and Christ is a gift. He doesn't force himself on anyone. And that's how we ought to operate as a church. We don't force ourselves on anyone. We just communicate the message. And we live it out. And we trust God in the same way that he extended grace to us. And we responded by receiving that grace and cooperating with it. He wants us to extend that grace to others and trust God's spirit to work in their soul, their mind, their heart, their spirit. There's no coercion here. It has to be a, a choice that you make in response to this amazing grace. And that's why it's referred to as a gift. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus Christ is God's grace gift to you, to me, to each of us. So how should we respond to that saving grace in Christ? Well, the, the first step is to simply begin to realize it, what it is, acknowledge it, and receive it. That's it. Just, just receive the grace. Begin to grow in your understanding of it and then respond to it. Well, Mark, what about all the, all the rules and the regulations and what about all the things? Like, what about the Ten Commandments? Well, Saul was a big proponent of not only the Ten Commandments but all of the hundreds of laws that the Jewish people tried to follow, the Levitical laws. And even Paul himself growing up in that Jewish culture, realized that there was no way he could perfectly follow all of those laws. And that's why he writes in his letter to the Romans, which I'm reading some passages, I'm giving you some little highlights out of this book, we call it, it's actually a letter to believers in Rome at the time, but the Holy Spirit has worked through it, that's why he's still speaking to us today through it. Romans 5.20, Paul says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So what Paul is saying is all of these rules that we have, like the Ten Commandments, they're not bad, and God wants us to follow them, but he also understands that we're imperfect, sinful people, and so we're not going to be able to follow them perfectly. But he still gave us that standard to say, this is how I want you to live. And there's none of us here or anybody listening to this message today that can say, well, I followed all of those commandments perfectly because the first one primarily was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus said the second one is like unto that, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but who has done that perfectly your whole life from the time you've been born? I mean, I don't want to disappoint you. I'm your pastor, but I'm telling you, I haven't loved God perfectly every day of my life. Even some days as your pastor. <gasps> horror of horrors but I am aware of it and it's not my heart's desire to want to wander away from God it's just I understand it's a tendency so on those days when I'm getting distracted and I'm doing other things it's like the Holy Spirit says hey Mark come on and I'm like oh okay all right help me refocus here God but what I'm saying is that law was there just to point out yeah God I need your grace and I am so grateful for it and we could go, I could just stop right there and we're done, right? I don't need to go through the list of the other 10. So I won't mention things like adultery or covetousness or false witness, you know, lying and all that. Because I'm sure you all are really good with all that stuff, right? You've never done any of that. So that's what Paul is making the point. God gave us these things to make us aware so that we can realize what grace is. 
and what we need from God and what he is offering us. Because if we didn't know, we wouldn't know. And so then he goes on, the Apostle Paul, and he writes this in Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? In other words, what do you do with God's grace? Okay, well, I'm forgiven for everything, so I'm just going to keep on. Hey, if, if grace is greater, whenever I sin, my sin, you know, it's okay. God's okay with it. So I'm just going to sin more and more so God's grace could be poured out more in my life. And Paul is taking a logical thing that any of us would do, even in our culture today, that reasoning it out logically would say, well, if grace is grace, then let's just keep doing whatever and then we're all good, right? But Paul says, no. What shall we say then? Should we continue to sin that grace may increase? Certainly not. That's a ridiculous way of thinking because God and his grace and his love has better things from your life than the path and the journey that you're on in your own selfish interests. Believe it or not, there are things in the world that are greater than you and your need and what makes you happy. I'm sorry, to, I'm sorry to be a downer for you today. But there are things in the world that are more important than your happiness. Now, God wants us to enjoy life, and he wants us to, to be happy. But remember, I spoke on this a while back. There's things that are better than happiness. There's things called joy that goes much deeper than happiness. And sometimes you can be unhappy and still have a great joy if it's placed in the right place which is in Christ. And again, this is all of God's grace. So the Apostle Paul continues, and, and he writes this in another letter in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 10. And I'm drawing out these passages because I want you to see how many times Paul talks about grace and how important it is. So the Apostle Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved, charis, this undeserved favor, this work that God is doing in the world and in your life, and he's pouring it out to you, and he wants you to respond, first of all, by believing it, being aware of it, and then trusting him and the way that he's provided that specifically to save you and to bring you into a relationship with him, which is through Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Even the faith that you and I have, we can't brag about because in the same way that you were born with certain things to help your body function, your heart, your lungs, all of that stuff, spiritually speaking, when you were brought into the world, when you were conceived in the womb, even before you were brought into the world, when you were conceived in the, world, in the womb, God put a measure of faith inside of you. And what he wants you and I to do is then exercise that faith. But we can't even brag about that. We can't say, yeah, I got this great faith. Well, the only reason you have it is because God gave it to you. You just learned to exercise it. So God still gets all the glory. It is a gift. Notice the word gift again. What is a gift? A gift is something that's offered to you that you simply need to receive it. Because if you had to work for it and you earn it, then it's no longer a gift, right? We get that. So over and over, grace is a gift. Christ is a gift. Your life is a gift. And he wants you to receive it and work with him and allow him to work in you so that you can experience life to the full in a relationship with him. Then he goes on, just to make it clear, Paul does, in case people don't get it, he says, not by works so that no one can boast. In other words, you don't get this grace because you worked for it. You don't get to heaven because you worked for it. You don't have the things in life because you worked for it. Now I'm talking spiritually speaking. I'm not saying if you work and you know, earn a living. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about spiritually speaking in a standing with God. You're not getting it because you work for it. It's all of grace. 
it's all a gift of God. So what he wants us to do is receive it. But there's something else with a gift. We all know this. You can be given a gift and say, that's cool, throw it in the shelf or a closet or stick it in a drawer and never use it anymore. It's still yours. You just never put it into work in your life. And that's the way it is with, with grace and with Christ. We can receive him as Savior, stick him in a drawer, put him in the back burner. He's still there, but we're not really receiving the full benefit of that relationship. And because Christ, though he is the Lord and director of our life, he also is patient with us. And he wants us to, again, be willing to receive and cooperate. Then the Apostle Paul writes this, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said, Even when I was a blasphemer and I was the foremost of sinners, God's grace was so great and poured out on me, and I realize this now because God did this for me so that through me, anybody would know if God does this for me, he'll do it for you too. And so Paul's saying, Christ already had a work for me even when I was blaspheming him and opposed to him and his believers. And I want you to know that that principle is the same for you and I and everybody here today. You might be saying, well, Mark, I, uh, I've been following Christ for a long time and I've been serving him. Yeah, but your life isn't over yet. So you, there may still be, and in fact, I believe there is still some things he wants you to do. That's why you're not going yet. And he's preparing that work for you to do. That's, look at what it says. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is what grace does. Grace sees the potential. Grace, God offers that grace, and he wants you then to realize that potential, cooperate with his spirit working in you so you can reach your full potential in that grace. That's one of the things that we do with grace. The first step is receiving it, recognizing it, receiving Christ, but then it's also beginning to extend that grace to others and allow his grace to work through you to impact the world for Christ. In fact, that's what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. Christ died for everyone, for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So let me ask you again, what are you doing with grace? What are you doing with God's grace? Are you living selfishly or are you beginning to say, you know what? I want to live more for Christ. I, I need to put him higher up on the priority list because he deserves it. In our culture today, in Western culture, at least here in America, we don't relate very well. We use this all the time in the church, this title, because it's true, Lord. We call Jesus Lord. And he is. But what I'm saying is I think a lot of people kind of don't get that full connotation because it sounds kind of, you know, uh, Europe-y, uh, is that a word, Europe-y? I don't know. <laughs> it, it sounds like it came over from Europe and England and all that and the lords and the ladies and, the, you know, and all that s- system. So let's think of it in this way. Is Jesus the director of your life? Because we understand what a director is. A director gives directions. A director has a plan. A director gives order. People carry out those orders is Jesus not only the Savior, is he not only the one you're trusting to forgive you of your sins and get you into heaven, but are you allowing him to direct your life? Oh, there is a difference now. Because when you begin to allow Jesus to be the director of your life, he may direct you to stop some behaviors that you're currently doing because he knows 
in the big scheme of things, it's not good for society, it's not good for you. And sometimes we don't like that when he directs us to stop doing things that we're doing. Oh, but there's another thing. Sometimes he directs us to do things that we don't want to do. <laughs> I can't do that. Jesus says, if you couldn't do it, in fact, I know you can't do it. That's why I'm directing you to do it because I want you to see how I'm going to work in you and through my power, you're going to do it because it's me working in you, but I want, I want to direct you. So is Jesus the director of your life? See, we're saved so we can serve, serve Christ by doing his work in the world, and we're saved so we can share. We can share God's grace with others. So just to wrap this up today, the remainder of our time here, probably in the next 10 minutes, if that, I want us to look at the book of Romans. Again, I shared with you, I've been taking some snippets from this writing that Paul gave to believers in Rome, and it applies to us today. And it answers this question, I believe, what do you do with grace, or what are we to do with grace? And so as, if you'll turn in your, in your scriptures, Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 1, there's just three things that I want to highlight, and then I'll give you the support out of this passage, and then we're going to close today, and we'll go into our time of communion. But here are some specific things I believe that the Apostle Paul was telling us that we can do with grace and how we can respond to it. Number one, offer your life in sacrificial service to Christ and others. So again, that begins by receiving Christ as Savior, receiving the grace specifically that he is giving you through Christ to save your soul, to bring you into relationship with him through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. So look at it, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Now, I'm going to read this today from the New Century version. It may be a little different version than some of you are used to. I'm doing it on purpose because for those of you that go to church a lot, maybe you heard this passage read many, many times, you can tend to tune it out because maybe you're so familiar with it, you know what's coming next. But this doesn't take away from the meaning of it. New Century version, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So, brothers and sisters, since God has shown us great mercy, I beg you to offer your lives as a living sacrifice to him. Your offering must be only for God and pleasing to him. In other words, don't even think of it. You'll get a benefit from it, but that shouldn't be your primary attitude and way of thinking. It's what can I do primarily to honor God with my life. Your offering must be only for God and pleasing to him, which is the spiritual way for you to worship. See, that's really the way God wants you to worship him. It's wonderful that you took the time to come here today, and I'm so glad you did. Um, and I hope and trust that you'll be blessed in it. But worship is so much more than coming and sitting in a room and singing some songs and hearing a sermon and going home. It's how you live. And that's what this scripture is saying. The real spiritual way that you worship is how you live your life every day, how you treat people, uh, how you get along in your family. That's, that's where real worship happens. And some of you are going, uh-oh, Mark, you're stepping on toes. Well, that's what the scripture says. Then he goes on in verse two and he says, do not be shaped by this world. Instead, but be changed within by a new way of thinking. Then you'll be able to decide what God wants for you and you will know what is good and pleasing to him and what is perfect. How can you know what God wants for your life if you never take the time to look into his written word that's been recorded for centuries that has edified the church and, and, and helped the church to grow? How can you know what God wants for your life if all you're listening to is what your friends say and what you see on Facebook and what you hear in the media about what current culture says 
versus what God has recorded for centuries in his word. And no, he's not outdated. The word of God is absolutely relevant. It's just as relevant today as the day it was penned and even before when it was in the heart of God. So don't think that the Bible's irrelevant. I'm gonna say something that's gonna really make some people mad, that honestly, if you think the Bible's irrelevant, you're irrelevant. That's how strong this is. The word of God is absolutely relevant. So take the time to read it and get to know it. You'll be amazed at what you just might learn if you have a teachable spirit. Second thing is use your gifts and abilities to edify his church. This is what you do with grace. Because God has given me a special gift, charis, there's that word the Apostle Paul says, I have something to say to everyone among you. Do not think you are better than you are. Right there it is. Don't think you know it all. Don't think. It's not saying to beat yourself up and to be critical of yourself. It's just saying have an accurate view of who you are in God's sight. He loves you. But don't think you're all that. Just respond to his grace and keep growing in it because he loves you and you're worth it. And he wants you to extend that grace to others. Do not think you are better than you are. You must decide what you really are by the amount of faith God has given you. Again, just realistically examine yourself in the eyes of Christ and as his word what his word speaks to you. Each one of us has a body with many parts and these parts all have different uses. In the same way, we are many, talking about people in the church, but in Christ, we are all one body. Each one is a part of the body and each part belongs to all the other parts. We all have different gifts, each of which came because of the grace God gave us. See how many times grace is mentioned here? So you have gifts that I don't have, I have gifts that you don't have, we have different backgrounds, experiences, everything that makes us who we are and we all need each other. I need you and and sorry to say, but you need me, sorry. (laughs) Some of you might debate that, but we do, we need each other because we all have something unique that we can bring, uh, that we can learn from each other in. The person who has a gift of prophecy should use that gift in agreement with the faith. And anyone who has the gift of serving should serve. Anyone who has the gift of teaching should teach. Whoever has the gift of encouraging should encourage. Whoever has the gift of giving to others should give freely. Anyone who has the gift of being a leader should uh, try hard when they lead. Whoever has the gift of showing mercy to others should do so with joy. So these are the ways that we respond to God's grace is by how we operate and extend grace to others in the church and in the world. And now the third and final thing for this morning of what do you do with grace? And in this final section of how we've divided it out uh, as the letter of Romans chapter 12, it's to work on your attitude and your actions toward others. And that's a work in progress. We should never stop being aware of this and working on it. Your love must be real. God doesn't like fakes. He doesn't like imposters because he's true. And so he wants us to be true and authentic with each other. And I try to do that as best I can with you all. It's not that I want to air all my dirty laundry and everything, you know, with everybody because that just wouldn't be appropriate but he wants us to be real and authentic. And so I'm trying to be real and authentic even in what I just said there. Your love must be real. Hate what is evil and hold on to what is good. There are things in this world that are evil 
that our culture is holding on to and people hold on to. And you say, well, Mark, who are you to say what is evil? I'm nobody. I am nobody to say what is evil. God is the one who determines what's good and evil, what's wicked and what's not. And again, we need to be familiar with his word if we're going to find out what those things are. And so it's not that we hate people who are involved in evil, not at all. Just hate the evil, love the people. Hey, that almost kind of rhymes, doesn't it? (laughs) Hate the evil, love the people. But that's what God wants us to do. Hate what is evil, hold on to what is good, love each other as brothers and sisters. Now, I had to snicker a little bit when I read this because, you know, I have an older brother. And for any of you that have grown up in a home with brothers and sisters, you're like, oh, yeah, I can do that because I hate my brother. (laughs) That's not what it's talking about. I get the sibling rivalry thing. It's saying as a family ought to love and support each other, that's how we ought to be in the church. So uh, love each other as brothers and sisters, as a family. That's what God wants us to do in his church. Give each other more honor than you want for yourselves. Do not be lazy, but work hard, serving the Lord with all your heart. What's being lazy? Well, maybe you come to church and you hear sermons and it's fine, and you come to Sunday school classes and that's all good, Um, but then you go home and you never do anything about it. You never put it into practice in your life. Well, you're being lazy spiritually. So we need to learn to apply what uh, is on our hearts. Uh, and what God teaches us. Don't be lazy, but work hard, serving the Lord with all your heart. Be joyful because you have hope, and that hope is a living hope in Christ. Be patient when trouble comes and pray at all times. Share with God's people who need help. Bring strangers in uh, to your homes. Wish good for those who harm you. I need you to hear this. Wish good for those who harm you. Wish them well and do not curse them. Why? In the world, would God tell me to do that? Because that's what grace is. What did I just say at the beginning of this service? What is grace? Undeserved favor. We absolutely don't deserve it, but we're given something, a blessing that we don't deserve. And God is reminding us, you have received grace from me. You need to learn to be gracious to others, even if they're opposed to you or hate you because you never know what God's going to do and how he might use your act of grace and kindness in their life that will bring them around. So we are to extend the same kind of grace we've received from God. We're to extend it to others. Be happy with those who are happy and be sad with those who are sad. Live in peace with each other. Do not be proud, but make friends with those who seem unimportant. I love that one. Look around the room, and if there's or somebody that you see here on a Sunday morning that's sitting by themselves or seem to be quiet, man, go out of your way to go say hi to them and sit down and get to know them. I have gotten to know some amazing people. That they're people that this world wouldn't think was a star, but once I got to know them, I'm like, you are a star. You, you, you're amazing. You've got some talents and some abilities that more people need to know about. This is what grace does. Make friends with those who seem unimportant. Do not think how smart you are. If someone does wrong to you, do not pay them back for doing wrong, uh, by doing wrong to them. Try to do whatever, what everyone thinks is right. Do your best to live in peace with everyone. We can't please everybody. We get it. Don't try to please everybody, but as much as you can, try to live at peace with people. My friends, do not try to punish others when they wrong you, but wait for God to punish them with his anger. It is written, I will punish 
those who do wrong, I will repay them, says the Lord. So here's where I'm going to wrap this up today. Because everything I've said to this point is about grace. And you're saying, wait a second, Mark. You just said that God loves us even if we hate him and are opposed to him and everything else. Yeah, that's right. It's grace. It's undeserved. But because God created life and God is love and God is the creator of grace and he gives grace, God also can set limits on it. And the scripture tells us that there's coming a day when his grace will end in the way that is being displayed now in the world through Christ. There is coming a time of judgment where God says, okay, I've been gracious to you all. I've given you every chance, but now that time of grace is coming to a close and now it is time for judgment. For people who have rejected my grace, I'm going to give you what you want. You wanted nothing to do with me. You don't believe in me, so to hell with you. I'm sending you away. I'm giving you exactly what you want. You'll have nothing to do with me. For those who have responded to my grace, believe me, trusted in Christ, I welcome you because you have responded to my act of love. And some people would say, well, then God is a mean, angry, judgmental God. Well, you're just getting the wrong picture of God. God is so much bigger than your little mind and my little mind can figure out. And what you need to do is understand what the scripture says about God and who has revealed himself. That's why Jesus died on the cross because there is judgment coming and he took the judgment for you and I. And that's why in grace, it saves us if we trust Christ now because God says, thank you. Thank you for receiving my gift and thank you that you wanna be in a relationship with me. So now we're gonna work together and we're gonna get to be together forever. But for those who reject, there is coming a day and it's gonna break my heart, but I'm holy and righteous and a judge and I'm gonna punish sin. I've already done it through Christ, but if people reject Christ, the only payment that's been made, there's no payment left for them and they're gonna be under my judgment and that day is coming. So today, that's why the scripture says, today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. This is why we call it the church age, the age of grace. We are living in an exceptional time right now, people. Don't reject this grace. So what do you do with it? First of all, you receive it. Then you learn to become aware of it. It's what I'm trying to help you today to become more aware of it through the scriptures and through what God's word says. And I'll just finish this up then. God says, I will punish those who do wrong. I will repay them, says the Lord. So there's coming a time when this grace will end. But you should do this. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Doing this will be like pouring burning coals on his head. That kind of seems a little twisted. I'm gonna do kind to you because I hope it just burns like fire on your head. <laughs> but but, he, but God, what, again, I love the simplicity and the, and the truth of the scriptures. What it's saying is by you extending grace to somebody who would slap you in the face or cuss you up one side and down the other and you be gracious to them and loving, you never know how God's Holy Spirit's gonna convict their heart. And that's what that's describing there. It's not that they're literally gonna feel heat on their head, but God's spirit hopefully is gonna work in their heart and they're gonna realize what they're doing. And they'll go, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this. I am so sorry. And they'll come to their senses and they'll trust Christ and they'll be changed. And then they'll be thanking you that you treated them with grace rather than how they deserved. And then he concludes with this, do not let evil defeat you, but defeat evil by doing good. That is exactly what Jesus Christ has done. Would you stand and we're gonna close and we're gonna move right into a time of communion. I'm even gonna ask as we stand, I'm gonna ask our servers to come to the table. And uh, after I pray, uh, we're gonna move right into this time together. So your response today is, 
If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, you have a moment right now because it's between you and God. You don't need to walk up front. You can pray and receive him right where you're at. Just say, thank you for your grace, and I believe, Jesus, you died on the cross for me and rose again. Thank you. I don't understand it all, but I want to receive it, and I want to learn to grow in it. Honestly, God knows your heart. It's not the words you say. It's the intent of your spirit and soul behind what you're trying to communicate because God knows through his spirit. You can receive Christ right now. And if, and if you've not received Christ, I encourage you to do it. If you've received Christ, just be more aware of what you are doing with the grace he's given you. Father, now, as we prepare to move into this time of communion, I pray that we'll have the proper response that you want because th the, the elements on this table represent the gift of grace. None of us deserve it. And yet we are so grateful that you've offered it. And we want to receive it. And we want to continue to grow in our understanding of it and live it out for your honor and glory and for our good and the good of others. In Jesus' name, amen.